So once again, we have found out that Ricky Wysocki is not going to be participating in another disc golf tournament. This week, it's the Music City Open. He posted a few days ago on Instagram. We're going to dive into that in just a little bit, but another tournament without the two-time world champion, Ricky Wysocki. Will he ever truly recover? Will he get back to playing competitively anytime soon this season? Let's go ahead and let's find out. Hey everybody, it's Antonio. Welcome back to episode 6 here on Teach Play Disc Golf, a Gladiator Disc Golf podcast. I am so excited to have you here again. We have some awesome, awesome stuff planned for you today. I have some awesome, awesome stuff planned for you today. I am so excited for this show. I was going into this uh, episode and planning this episode and I just realized, hmm, the last week or so has been pretty quiet. There hasn't been a whole lot. Some stuff did happen, and we're going to talk a little bit about it. But I am expecting this episode to be a little bit shorter. We are going to talk about a few things first. We're going to go over Ricky Wysocki. Then we are going to talk about putting, and we're going to specifically focus on spin, push, and what I like to call, and what others like to call, spush putting, which is kind of a combination of the two. After that, we are going to review the Lone Star Disc Copperhead. It's a disc that I recently started throwing, and I wanted to share some thoughts about it. Uh, I won't say much more than that. And then after that, we will go ahead and talk about the Music City Open coming up this weekend. I'm super excited about it. So let's go ahead and let's get into it. So a couple days ago, Ricky posted on his Instagram uh, basically saying that he is wishing everybody who's competing in the Music City Open best of luck. Uh, He didn't explicitly state like the words, I am not competing, but he did allude to the fact that his wrist is still not doing well. That's why he's not going to be playing and he's wanting to take the time to make sure that he is taking care of his body and that he can fully recover before competing again. Um, We know it's the wrist. This is the same injury since end of January, beginning of February when he had a drop out of the Disc Golf Pro Tour All-Star Weekend uh, and that injury has been bothering him since um i am not going to get into the whole you know political um the whole political take on this situation mainly uh because that's not what this podcast is for but i do believe if i understand what has happened over the last two to three years um this all originates with ricky's lyme disease uh, a couple years ago got bit by a tick and it turned into Lyme disease. And he chose to go through certain methods of medicine that others may not have gone to. And that was his choice, his decision. But it's based on my understanding that this is basically a, uh, the right word, a flare up, that's it. This is basically a flare up of those symptoms, kind of what he has talked about periodically. Now, I do think, uh, I don't know if last season, but maybe the season before, there was another flare-up where he missed significant time. But this is definitely, in you know, in recent memory, 
the most time he's missed specifically for this since the initial injury, sickness, uh, disease. Since that, this is definitely, I think, the most time that he has missed. And I got to say, it is definitely disappointing. Obviously, I want him to take care of himself. I want him to do what is best for him. But it's hard watching disc golf with, without Ricky Wysocki. Now, uh, he's not my favorite player. He's probably not even top five of my favorite players. I do enjoy watching him. Um, but disc golf is better with him. He may not be my favorite, but I know he's a lot of people's favorites. And I do enjoy watching him, seeing him compete on tour. I know he is a great golfer. Um, so I just hope that whatever he is dealing with, that he goes ahead, that he goes ahead and gets it taken care of, and that he can heal quickly with whatever uh, practices he he is using. That they will help him heal. It sounds like he's made a lot of progress, and I respect him for not rushing back until he's a hundred percent. Especially because it, I believe it is his throwing wrist. And so obviously you wouldn't want that to, you know, flare up in the middle of a round or like later on this season. But I am wondering some questions I have that I don't know if we'll get the answer to until like years down the road, uh, just based on how we see him play over time. If he'll ever be able to play an entire season without a flare up is the first thing. Like, will that ever happen? And then. With that, will there come a time when he is willing to play even if he's not 100%? Um, I don't know, obviously, a whole lot about this. I'm not a doctor or anything, but I wonder, is his uh, lack of playing because it's painful or if he could uh, make it worse? So I don't exactly know everything that's going with that, but these are just some questions that are kind of going through my mind. Will he ever get to play an entire season completely healthy, no flare-ups consistently, not just like one out of three or four years be an anomaly, but consistently play a full season? And will, if he decides to play on it at 70, 80, 90% healthy, does his playing on it mean that the flare-up can get worse or is it non-related to mus- uh, muscular movement? Um, so something to think about, I don't know all the answers, but uh, I definitely uh, wish him the best and hope that he can get back on tour. Obviously, disc golf is a lot of fun when Saki Bomb, Raptor Legs is on tour. He's a lot of fun to watch. A ton of putts from Circle 2, great drives. Um, so definitely miss seeing him. Hope he can get healthy and hope to see you soon, Ricky. The other thing that I wanted to talk about over the last uh, week or so that um, I thought would be fun, this is, and this next part is particularly personal to me. Um, uh, Jomez went and published a video with the Paul Macbeth Foundation over in Montenegro. Now, this was my understanding filmed basically in June of last year, but Jomez just dropped it last week. Why is this, you know, particularly personal to me? Well, funny enough, I am 50% Italian and 50% Albanian. So obviously half my family hails from Italy. The other half hails from Yugoslavia, which is now split into Serbia and Montenegro. And my family is from the country Montenegro, that region of what used to be Yugoslavia. So it was really, really cool watching that video. I watched the entire thing from Jomez Pro with uh, Avery Jenkins and Paul Macbeth talking through the 
first course put in Montenegro. It is such a cool video. If you are wanting something that is chill to listen to and just kind of hear how they approach building a course, what Avery Jenkins was looking for uh, when he was designing this course, it's a really good listen. It's fun to watch too. I'm sure you've already seen some of the social clips where Paul does um, have the first ace in Montenegro as well, which I think is just awesome. But you know, it was just a really cool, it was really cool insight into seeing someone like Avery Jenkins just explain the, I, the, the purpose behind the course. It's the first course in Montenegro. It's also 18 holes. The park where it's situated is a very active park. So that was supposed to, you know, he took that into consideration. He also had some beautiful landscape around the park. And so he kind of made, uh, he kind of framed up some of the baskets and the holes to, to line up and have this sort of picture, picturesque environment. And so it's really cool to just kind of get that insight and to know like course designers out there, uh, at least the ones that take their job really, really seriously, aren't just throwing a basket and seeing where it lands and saying, yep, that's gonna work. They, they, some of them are putting in this effort to curate a course, not just for playability, but for enjoyability. And that's something that was really unique in hearing Avery Jenkins talk about. And Paul also um, pulled from some of his experience building some courses in Mexico and Nicaragua, Nicaragua with uh, the Paul Macbeth Foundation. So uh, I'm a little bit uh, of a sucker for sentimentality. So after seeing that episode, actually while the episode was still playing on Joe Mez, I went and ordered a shirt from the Paul Macbeth Foundation uh, on the uh, Montenegro shirt. So I'm super excited for that to come in. I will definitely be rocking it out on the course and here on the podcast. But I just wanna encourage you, if you haven't seen that video, I would definitely recommend it. It's really cool to listen to and it is fun to watch. There are some really cool holes there. He talked about the design a little bit, um, but it is a beginner friendly course. So when you are watching it, like that's why most of the holes are, I think there might only be like a, a few holes over 300 feet, if that. I'm pretty sure most of them around 200 or less, you like between like 160 and 220. Uh, seems to be a lot of the 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 majority of the holes. So it's not necessarily the most fun course to watch uh, someone play, but the commentary, the explanation behind the design, really cool insight. So I definitely recommend listening to it if you can't watch it. Today's tip is about putting. And so this episode is sponsored by Putt Confidently. I recently joined their team. If you don't know Putt Confidently, you probably recognize the champ cap. The champ cap is basically a uh, basket covering or a cap that sits over the basket with four unique rings of different sizes all around it. And the object of the champ cap is to improve your focus and your accuracy. And so it basically helps you concentrate on making more high percentage putts right in the heart of the chains, not trusting the disc to fade or anything like that, knowing that when you put it straight right into the heart of the chains, it's gonna stick. Uh, I, Like I said, I recently joined Team Putt Confidently and I've been loving the Champ Cap. So if you wanna check out the Champ Cap and get a discount and also support me in this channel, go ahead and use the link in the description. That will get you that discount and support me. So let's go ahead and let's talk about putting. Is it better to spin putt? push putt, spush putt, which one's better, but more importantly, when to use each one. Okay, 
There is always conversation when it comes to putting about what's the best way to do it. And I'm just gonna come right off the bat and say that putting, in my opinion, is all about comfort. Yes, there are certain things you need to do uh, to make sure that one, you're putting with good form and that what you're doing is uh, that, that you can easily replicate it. But one of the most important things with putting to me is that you find something comfortable. You find a putter that's comfortable. You find a putting stroke that is comfortable. And that also includes your stance. Now, when we talk about spin putting, you can spin putt from a staggered stance or a straddle stance. So with your feet one in front of the other or with your feet next to each other. But a uh, a push putt tends to be more from a straddle position with your feet kind of next to each other or a shoulder width apart. You don't see a lot of uh, push putters doing a stagger. The time you see what looks like a push putt in a stagger position is what we like to call a spush putt. It's a combination of the two. So here's how each of them work. A spin putt is pretty simple. It focuses on spinning with your wrist. There's a lot of torque coming from your wrist. Um, that's what tends to generate a lot of the, uh, the power or spin in the putt. Now, yes, you can get your body into the putt. Your arm is a pendulum helping you swing it out. Your elbow does get involved too. But a lot of the, the snap does kind of come from the wrist because it's the final hinge as the disc comes out of your hand. Also, you're going to see that a lot of spin putters have really... Um, they, they have a, how do I say this? They use their fingers to also help with that speed. Um, it's not just the wrist, but those fingers kind of pushing the disc out. And this is something that helps spin putters generate power and a tight spin so that the disc keeps flying and stays on its line. So that's basically how you spin putt. Now push putt is, you know, this idea, we talk about spin is literally spinning it. Push putt is pushing the disc. Now here's the thing, you're not just taking your disc and pushing it at the basket. You're still using a putting kind of method, but a push putt does not spin nearly as much as a spin putt does. There's going to be some uh, rotation in the disc, but a push putt gets its distance and its accuracy by glide. So whereas the spin putt obviously uses glide to travel towards the basket, otherwise it would never move, um, it uses basically centri uh, centrifugal force and just this rotational power to keep it aloft, but it can also fly very low. A push putt needs air under. It's not getting that rotation to help keep it aloft. So you have to get a push putt up in the air. And so what you'll see is that a push putt is typically up and down, whereas a spin putt can be pretty level. And so the, the misses for each of those is the opposite, all right? Or excuse me, the misses for each of those is unique. You can obviously miss left, right, up, or down with either of the putts. But traditionally speaking, if we're looking at percentage-wise, a spin putter is going to miss left or right more often since they tend to uh, putt on a flatter plane. A push putt is going to miss more up or down because that's really the only, uh, that's really how the disc is traveling. Left or right really isn't going to come into effect nearly as much. 
Now the combination of the two is what I actually believe to be the most common form of putting. Uh, you don't see, especially pros, but definitely in amateurs, you don't see a ton of people solely using push and solely using spin. There are instances, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but we normally see a combination of the two, and I fall into that category of spush putting. I have a little bit of lift in my putt, but I also have some snap with the wrist, and that's basically what it is. It's not um, as aggressive spush putting as spin putting is, but it's also not as lofty as a push putt is. So it's quite literally just a combination of the two. Now, the misses with that are actually quite unique. So technically you could miss high, low, left and right, depending on how much spin and how much loft you have in your putt. So there are a little, there are a few more variables um, when it comes to when it comes to spush putting, but I will say that it tends to be what people find most comfortable. And so going back to the very beginning of this section, that's what you need to stick with. Now, that being said, just because it's comfortable doesn't mean that you shouldn't learn how to push putt. Doesn't mean you shouldn't learn how to spin. All of those things are important. Every great disc golfer, every good disc golfer can spin putt and push putt. And then obviously do a combination of the two. It's important to know how to do each of those, just like it's important to know how to stagger putt and how to straddle putt and how to do a leaning putt when you have an obstacle in the way. And then you take each of those physical positions of how you're standing and you then have to also practice the different styles of putts, push and spin and spush. And so there's a lot of work that goes into this. And basically what I want to leave you with is obviously knowing the three main types of putts and really the only three that I can think of. Um, I've never heard of another type of putt besides like a turbo putt, but we're not talking about that right now. Uh, <laughs> that's another conversation for another time. But I want you to kind of have a good idea of when you should try spin putting, when you should try push putting, and when you can, if your most comfortable form of putting is a spush, when you can rely on that. So I've been messing around with this concept for the last couple of weeks because I've just realized like, yes, I can do both in the different like foot position, you know, straddle and staggered putt and staggered position. But it was also something I was like, I know I can work on this a little bit more. So I've been messing around with this a little bit and I've realized a couple things. Spin putting is excellent for uphill. I have found that when I have an uphill putt, it is better for me to spin because I don't have to worry about trying to get too much loft. Because when you're aiming at an uphill basket, let's say, you know, yeah, you're aiming at an uphill basket, you want to aim higher than you normally do. So I like to aim like at a middle chain. And so if I aim at a middle chain on an uphill uh, putt, Chances are, I, I, my, not chances are, I have a greater chance of hitting the cage since the cage is a little bit higher now and just the way gravity works and everything. So if I take that middle link that I normally aim at and move it two, three, or four links up, or maybe even up to the band, depending on how, uh, how far the basket is and also how high it is uh, in, in correlation to my position, I want to aim up. And so what I have found in my experience is that it's easier for me to miss low if I stick to my spush putt. But it's much easier for me to hit my target if I spin putt. And there's a few reasons for that. 
the spin putt doesn't goes a lot faster and so it doesn't give gravity nearly as much time so to speak to pull the disc down and so i have found that spin putting helps me kind of feel like i can really um, flick the disc towards the basket with my wrists and my fingers and one be accurate two I don't have to aim a whole lot higher than normal. And three, I get to the chains a lot faster, reducing gravity's effect. I have also found that spin putting is a really good way to attempt to putt from distance. Now, everybody's long distance putt is going to be a little bit different. For some people, it might be 30 or 40 feet. For others, it might be the edge of circle two going into you know, what some people call circle three, 60, 70 feet. And then you have professionals who are spin putting from like 100, 120 feet. So whatever your long distance putt is, you may want to try giving spin putt a chance. For all the re pretty much for all the reasons I just said for uphill putt, it's also really good for those long distance putts because you can almost feel like you're almost throwing it and keeping it on that straight line and it travels quickly and it can be pretty accurate um, because it has a similar motion to throwing uh, when you're from really far distances. Obviously, you're not fully throwing it, but you can be a little to the side like Emerson Keefe and really get some good snap and have the disc travel towards the basket. Now, you could, uh, one thing I have been messing around with a little bit is using the spin putt downhill. Now this is something I'm a little wary about, and so I wanna just give you a word of caution. This could work for some people. It could also be an absolute tragedy to your disc golf game. And so I'm going to encourage you not to try it um, unless you it just feels really comfortable and you feel dialed in for this one reason. On a downhill putt, when you miss, you're gonna miss bad. See, on an uphill putt, if you miss, yes, you always have the risk of a roll away, but chances are the hill is continuing to go up behind the basket. So if you miss, it'll hit the edge of the hill and stop. So it's much harder to go 15, 20, 30 feet long on an uphill putt. But on a downhill putt, you can putt softly, miss, and still go 15, 20, or 30 feet long. So if you're not doing a spin putt, which can be fairly aggressive, and you miss, that 15 feet can turn into 45 feet. So you wanna be careful about spin putting downhill. I recommend taking the softer approach, push putting. Now there are a couple instances uh, where I think push putting is ideal. First off, everyone needs to know how to do it for this one reason. You do not always have the ability to putt directly at the basket. So even if you're, uh, the, even if the only time you use the push putt is to get over an obstacle, that's fine, but you need to know how to do that. There are times where we find ourselves in the rough or even within circle one, we have obstacles in the way where what we need is a putt that will go up and then come down gently without a whole lot of uh, left to right action. Um, and so knowing how to do that is super valuable on the disc golf course. And I have found Dialing in a push, dialing in a push putt is super helpful, but it's uniquely challenging, and that's because basically I have found in my experience that you almost want to like lock your wrist, not to the extent where it doesn't move, 
but it's not gonna have nearly as much snap in my experience as a spin putt. You're gonna have a lot more loft. And so what that also means is you have to get your lower body engaged way more than you would in a spin putt. And so you obviously have to have vertical movement that you can go up and down and you also need to treat your arm like a pendulum that as you're coming up, the disc is going to come up. So obviously putting over obstacles is super helpful. Navigating around things is a great way to use the push putt. I have also found that on windy days, sometimes on windy days, a push putt can be great because um, it doesn't have a lot of momentum behind it. And so, especially if you putt flat, um, you can help kind of reduce just how much the wind may move it. Now, if you are a, uh, a push putter with hyzer, windy days are not your friend. And ultimately, my opinion is that the best type of putt in wind is a spin putt because it keeps the disc nice and flat, which minimizes the effect of the wind. Uh, even in a head and tailwind, which is, we talked about that in an earlier episode about how wind affects the disc, but even on a putt, I like to go with the spin, uh, even with wind on a putt, I like to go with the spin putt if I can. But sometimes a push putt is helpful, specifically on downhill holes. I like to putt, obviously I need to be committed, but you can putt committed and still putt softly to reduce any potential misses. Now, I am also a big teacher of don't go into a putt thinking you're going to miss because chances are you're going to miss but it is part of the game that sometimes a putt just won't fall your way. So you need to be prepared for that. And one of the things that I like to do, especially from distance on downhill putts, is go with a softer, more lofty putt that can, if it doesn't make it into the basket, it will finish flat either on the ground or off the cage and then finish flat on the ground. I don't want it to have a lot of uh, momentum behind it or energy because I don't want it to react too poorly if it was to hit something and not go in. So that's when I have found a push putt to be extremely helpful when dealing with downhill elevation, some wind, but really when I'm needing to get over and around obstacles. Okay, so we talked about spin and push, and now we have spush putting. Obviously, it's a combination of the two. We've already talked about that. But there is something to be said about knowing when to spush putt. Now, you know, most people are spush putters. So it's important to know how to do a little bit of both, the spin and the push. But you also have to know when not to do your normal putting position. So if you're like me and you have a natural spush putt, you have to know when to make the call, I should not do this. I need to know when to spin and when to push and not just when to do those, but when to say no. So it's important to recognize that. And unfortunately, there are some things that you know will help you make that decision, but ultimately, experience is going to be your best teacher with this because everyone's form is slightly different, so you have to kind of learn what works for you. So for me, what I have found is that if I can't get a comfortable um, bend in the knees, and get the disc down to my kneecap and then come up with it and feel like I can get a clean release without any obstruction and kind of bring my hand up to the chain that I'm aiming at. If I don't have basically that batter's box worth of space to work in, I have to make a decision. I have to probably go with a spin putt. 
And that's because I know if I try to do a spush putt with, with a much more limited space, my misses tend to happen more often. And so I just need to be cognizant and aware of my surroundings when I'm putting. If something feels a little off, if, I, if my stagger stance isn't comfortable and I need to do a little bit more of a straddle stance, so on and so forth, I need to just figure out, do I have this batter's box? If I have the batter's box, I'll go through with it. If I don't have the batter's box, I'm probably going to go to a spin putt since I do have a pretty good amount of snap in my spush putt as is with a little bit of loft. But it's something to be aware of, something that you need to kind of practice and figure out for yourself because everybody can kind of do a spush putt a little differently. Like we see uh, Ricky Wysocki, he has a, and James Conrad, they come really low and deep, almost like uh, straightening out their front leg and then coming up and they both have spin, but there's a little bit of push behind it too. And then you have Paul Macbeth, who's not a pure spin putter, but he has more spin than push and he doesn't go nearly as low. You have to kind of find what is your batter's box, okay? And when you can find your batter box, which is basically how much space you need to be able to move and where the disc travels in that motion to make your putt, when you can figure that out, you can then start sorting out basically like, okay, am I going to push putt here instead? Or am I going to spin putt if I don't have the these parameters that I need to make this high percentage putt? Putting is a lot. There's a lot that goes into it. And so I just wanted to talk about those three things, kind of address them a little bit. We did, we went into details about them, but there's definitely a lot more that can be said. So if you found that section helpful and you learned something new, go ahead and give this video a like or leave a review if you're listening to the podcast version. It helps spread awareness to this uh, new podcast, Teach Play Disc Golf, and it lets me know that you want to hear some more info about that. If you need help with your putting, you can do one of two things. You could try a champ cap to help you improve your accuracy and focus, or you can send me a video on GiveGo. It's a coaching app that I've been on for, I think we're coming up to two years pretty soon. I'm super excited about that. Been working on GiveGo, helping a lot of people with their disc golf game. Basically, you send me a video or you can ask me a question and I'll respond to you, giving you some feedback and answering your question. And you can try GiveGo for free the first time with code Regiro, and that will help you kind of figure out if you like GiveGo, if you want to continue using it without any risk to you. So go ahead and give it a shot today if you need some help with putting. Alrighty, I am so excited for today's disc review brought to you by OTB Discs. Those guys, I just had a recent experience with them and they are just awesome. They really are the best. Not only do they have amazing discs, but their customer service is fantastic. You know, I recently asked them if they had any Delta Walkers, a Lone Star disc mold and plastic, and they said they didn't, and which was okay. You know, it happens. They didn't have them in the backlog. They weren't getting ready to upload them or anything. But then a couple days later, they reached out to me and said that one of their team members had just come back from uh, the road show and he had some Delta Walkers and they were going to send me some. And so I'm so excited. They didn't have to do that. They didn't have to reach out and let me know things change, but they did. Their customer service is supreme, guys. So I want to encourage you, if you are interested in trying the Lone Star Disc Copperhead 
today, which is the disc we're reviewing, go ahead and head to OTB Discs and use discount code GladiatorDG for free shipping. So let's go ahead and let's talk about what I think is a fairly unique disc. The Copperhead is three speed, four glide, zero turn, and two fade. It has a thumb track, a bead, but it's also fairly uh, a sharp nose for a putt approach disc. Now, it being three speed, that's kind of the speed uh, range that we start to see a little less rounded nose and almost more of a mid-range type nose. But definitely, I feel like it's a little sharper um, than some other uh Putt and approach discs in the three to four uh, speed range. And so I really like that. I'm not at all saying it's a mid range. It's definitely a putter, flies like a putter. But that sharper nose honestly makes it really, really comfortable. Now, this for the more high powered players out there, this disc is going to fly very straight for you and then just have a touch of fade at the end with only two fade. It's a lot more controllable and since it's such a slow disc. But for those of you who are still improving your game and you're getting comfortable with some different putters out there and uh, maybe you don't have a ton of power, which is fine, uh, this disc is going to be uh, maybe a touch more overstable. Still, you're... I, those were not words. What I basically what I basically mean by that is that it's still going to be two fade, but you're just going to experience that stability maybe a little bit sooner, especially if you can't throw a putter 350, 400 feet. Um, you'll experience that a little bit more. I experience it a little bit more. I don't have. I can't throw a putter 350 feet. Um, that's a really good skill. <laughs> and that takes time to develop. But so if you're like me and you can't do that, you're going to see some workability in this stable uh, putter. I really like it. It's currently in the bag for me because it fills a slot that I've been needing something that is nice and workable and comfortable for both backhand and forehand. That's one of the biggest things about this disc. It's probably the most comfortable thumb track disc that I have thrown um, for backhand and forehand. I find the Innova Rhino to have been really comfortable for the forehands. I find the uh, Lone Star Armadillo to be really comfortable for backhands. But neither one of those is super comfortable to me on the other side. Rhinos, for some reason, just I never really liked them in the backhand as much. And Armadillos, I can throw them forehand pretty good but they don't feel super great to do it. Whereas the Copperhead, even though it doesn't fly like an armadillo, it feels great for the backhand, almost feels like a slow mid-range, and feels great for the forehand as well with that you know, a little bit sharper nose. So that's one of the biggest benefits to it is that I really like its uh, comfort level for both types of throwing. All of that to say, it is probably my favorite Lone Star putter mold besides the Armadillo. The Armadillo is still number one, but the Copperhead is definitely in second place and could you know, potentially overthrow the Armadillo as my favorite Lone Star disc putter mold. Uh, I have not thrown it in the Founders Plastic yet. Uh, that is a, um, a special uh, plastic. I haven't got my hands on one. They sold out really, really quickly. And also, in my opinion, they're a little pricey and I just did not have $30 for a premium putter. Um, but <laughs> I would like to definitely try the Copperhead 
in some premium plastics and see just how the stability differs. I think it is going to be a touch more stable, which will help with its workability and kind of layering with the base plastic since I love to layer uh, my molds in my bag. I like to keep it simple. One of the final things that I have noticed with the Copperhead is that it has some really good glide. I really find it to get down the fairway. It's controllable with that three speed. It has some good stability. It's not going to turn on you unless you throw it on Anheuser. And so that's just a really helpful trait to have, especially with four glide. It could be really easy for something to turn over and just never come back, but it's just going to hold that line you put it on it's going to glide down the fairway and it's just going to be a really smooth disc to throw. So that's all we have for the disc review. Now I wanna talk about the upcoming tournament. Last week we did not have a Disc Golf Pro Tour event. I'm sure pros, I'm sure pros were either playing some A tiers or coming here to Nashville, getting ready for the Music City Open. And that's the event that we're gonna talk about for the remainder of this episode. There's not a whole lot to say about this. I'll have more next week, basically once we watch the coverage. But I am super excited. Uh, unfortunately, I'm just going to come right out and say this. I was planning on going to this event because it's only going to be like 30 minutes from me. But before I bought any tickets and, then, and everything like that, my family's coming into town this week. And so, one, I'm recording this episode before they get here. And two, I'm not going to be able to go see them play, to see the pros play, which is unfortunate. But I am really excited that my family's coming into town. They've never been to Nashville before, so it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, so I won't be seeing them. Hopefully next year, uh, that would be awesome uh, to go and see them and uh, you know get some more autographs and just kind of do that. But enough about me, let's talk about Music City Open. So just like for the last couple of years, if I recall correctly, the Music City Open is gonna be at Mill Ridge. Now what's really cool, and I didn't know this before moving to this area, is that at least according to UDISC, Mill Ridge is only open for special events like the Music City Open, which basically tells me that this is not just a course that I could go and play whenever I wanted. Uh, I may be misunderstanding that, but based on what I've seen on UDISC, that is the case with this course. And so that's pretty cool that there is um, some uniqueness to this course that it is for special events like this. But that also is kind of a bummer because one of the things that I think a lot of us amateurs love is that we can watch the pros play a course and then go play that course when we're able to travel to whatever area it is and just kind of see like, wow, this course is challenging. Now that Mill Ridge has been open for I think the last month or so. I just haven't gotten out there. Uh, but I'm sure it'll close up shortly after the D Disc Golf Pro Tour and then the Pro-Am uh, event the week after. I believe that's when it is. Um, so, you know, it's it's kind of a bummer because I know when I got to go play uh, Maple Hill and just being on that property and knowing that pros have walked through these fairways and just seeing some of the layouts that they throw on some of the holes, like it is such a cool experience. And a lot of golfers don't get to experience that with Mill Ridge. Now, if you haven't watched any of the uh, Music City Opens before, Mill Ridge is a pretty unique course. Um, it's a lot of open, 
but it's tight gaps off the tee. Um, you'll see a lot of trees kind of positioned in possibly some annoying places, honestly, off the tee. But it forces uh, the pros, the golfers, the disc golfers to really commit to their lines. And I think that's a really cool aspect of it. Yes, it's fairly open once you get into the fairway. They, there are some obstacles. There are trees that you have to throw around. But Mill Ridge does have some uh, challenge getting off the tee, which I think is really cool um, because it's going to reward, obviously, risk takers. You know, If they execute the shot, they will more than likely be rewarded for it. But it also forces you to commit to your line, um, which is just a great lesson for everyone to learn. Now, that being said... Mill Ridge is one of the longer courses on tour, if I remember. It's nearly 10,000 feet. Um, I think the, is it the, the Preserve or the Portland Open or both of them are also really long courses that might rival Mill Ridge for some of the longest on tour. But it's definitely a long one. Unfortunately, FPO, in my opinion, unfortunately, FPO does not have a unique layout on this course like most courses that they play. That was really cool to see a couple weeks ago um, at Texas State. Almost went blank there. Uh, at Texas State Championships, it was really cool to see that the women had a unique layout and basically their own course that was specifically designed for them. I do hope that that becomes more common, but it's not going to happen, you know, two weeks in advance. So, you know, we'll just have to keep kind of, you know, looking for that and asking for it in support of FPO. But you'll, if you look at the course map for Mill Ridge, you'll see that there's a lot of just short tees for the FPO and some of the tees they share the same. So that's basically going to be Music City Open. They'll be playing all, I think it's three days. They'll be playing all three days at Mill Ridge. Uh, so that's a pretty cool uh, event. I wish I could be there. I know if I was able to be there, I'd have a lot more to say about it, especially next week. But that's basically it. So I want to go ahead and first apologize. I believe it was Texas States or uh, the Open at Austin. I recorded an episode and I said, oh, Grip 6 doesn't have the picks up and everything on Udisc. Because I tend to record on Tuesdays. Well, Udisc doesn't have Grip 6 available on Tuesdays. It normally pops up on Wednesday or Thursday. So... In order to get these episodes out on Wednesdays, which is kind of what I'm finding to be the ideal time for me to upload the episode, I'm going to go ahead and just be looking through basically who has signed up and who I think will place. And then I will take those people and choose them as my grip six pick. So let's go ahead and let's see who's going to be there this weekend. Alrighty, so I don't know how unique I'm going to be with my picks here. Uh, but my first pick for MPO, I'm going to go with Calvin Heinberg. Calvin has just been on an absolute heater this season. He's already run two uh, Disc Golf Pro Tour events. He's playing super well. I don't think he's missed podium at a single Disc Golf Pro Tour event. Uh, don't quote me on that, but I'm fairly certain that's been the case for him. He's just been playing super, super well. Everything is clicking for him right now. So I'm definitely going to take Calvin Heinberg. I'm also going to select Gannon Burr. Gannon is another great player, obviously, but he's been playing really well this season, even amidst all the drama with his contract and prodigy and everything. He is playing well, and so I think he's going to be capable of scoring really well in this course, given his power 
his elite talent, and the fact that this course is fairly open. Now, the other uh, MPO player that I'm going to choose is someone who has won this event a lot, and I really like him at this course. Basically, Tennessee native Chris Dickerson. I am super excited to watch him play. I really hope he performs well. I'd love to see him on lead card. I think Chris has had a little bit of a slow start to the season. Uh, he hasn't been playing, and uh, I haven't seen him on any lead cards, which is uh, pretty unique. He's normally up there. I mean, he's one of the highest rated MPO players in the world. And so I'm hoping that coming to Tennessee, coming to the Music City Open where he's won many times, I'm hoping that that will kind of give him the boost he needs to compete out there this weekend. All right. And on the FPO side, as we get close to wrapping it up here, Two of my picks I don't really think are going to be all that unique either, similar to MPO. I think FPO, you got to go with Kristen Tatar. She's just been playing really well. She had, you know, some hiccups here or there along the way in Waco. But, you know, she has just been so good for so long. Every player is going to have mistakes and bad rounds and bad tournaments. So I am not at all concerned about Kristen Tatar right now. And so I'm excited to see her perform at Music City Open. I also think Ella Hansen is right on the cusp of winning an event coming up here soon. She's been close to winning one. She obviously almost won Waco. Um, so yeah, I, I just realized I said Kristen struggled at Waco. No, Kristen won Waco. <laughs> My bad, guys. But you know, uh, she struggled. I think it was maybe the Open at Austin. Just kind of fell apart a little bit there. But that kind of stuff happens. So I'm taking Kristen Tatar and Ella Hansen. I'm sure everybody else is going to be taking them as well. But my third pick, I'm going to give her a chance. I'm going to give her a chance. I'm hoping she can put it together. But just given how long this course is and how big arms can perform really well, I'm going to go with Evelina Solonen. I got to just trust that she's going to keep working through these putting woes and really find her groove soon. Um, it's just incredible how well she places at these events when she can't putt. So I'm just hoping that even if she can put halfway decent, she might have a chance at winning this because she just drives off the tee so well. And so I'm going to go Kristen, Ella, and Evelina. Really excited for them. I uh, cannot wait to watch this. I don't know how much live coverage I'm going to get to watch since my family will be in town and I'm pretty much the only disc golfer in my family. I don't know how much I'm going to get to watch, but it will be interesting. I am excited to see post-produced at least and uh, really just to come back next week and talk with you guys about it and yeah that's basically it so i hope you guys enjoy this episode of teach play disc golf i know i did it's always fun getting here and talking with you if you enjoy stuff like this you may if you are enjoying these episodes please leave a review and if you want more content Go ahead and join my YouTube membership or my Patreon. The links will be in the description and you can get more content there as more and more episodes roll out. So here at Teach Play Disc Golf, there are a couple things that I always want to encourage you before we sign off. Go ahead and teach someone disc golf today, whether that's in person, online, through an encouraging note, a form tip, or actually taking someone who's never played and taking them out to the course and showing them, teach someone this week. 
go and play uh, some disc golf yourself, meet up with some friends, play a solo round, get out there and have fun. It's just one of the best things in the world to just be out playing disc golf. And so that's all I have for you today, guys. Until next time, have a great round. Thank you.